Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 30th episode. Well, it's really like the 32nd, but the 30th episode of the Pen Podcast. I can never say that. Pen Podcast. Pen Podcast, Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Laurie, with my schmabulous co-host sister, Sandy. Um, we have been on hiatus for a couple of weeks and typical of us, we didn't tell you. <laughs> We didn't let you know that that's where we were. Yeah, we just, we needed a break from um, just the toil um, to take a kind of a mental breather. Um, and we both worked furiously on other projects uh, besides the podcast. This takes up a lot of time. Like I give you so much credit since, I mean, it's just, it's insane. So um, I have been tasked with writing up today's script which is why it will be different and briefer, <laughs> more brief <laughs> uh, than in previous episodes. So how you been, my sister? How have you been? I'm okay. I love your hair today. It's very pretty. It's very Thank pretty. you. You're it is, uh, it's, it's getting too long. I have a hairdresser that's ridiculously popular. So it takes weeks of planning to so get in. You almost have to book it the time you leave for the next yes and, and I do but then it's like oh he's busy that week and he's busy that week and it's like well my hair what? will be down to Rapunzel level so can we just get me in at some point yeah um yeah I know I know good people this it's you know it's hard to hard to find time with them mine's you've your hair's been cut by my stylist Lauren she's fabulous just awesome 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 I love her she lets me actually bring my own hair dryer and hairspray and do my hair. Like she allows that, which I, I really, I so appreciate because, you know, I can see how there would be lots of um, stylists who'd be like, no, I cut your hair. I'm going to finish the job. Right. But I know how I like my hair styled and I want to know that the cut can be styled the way I like to style it. So for me, it solves that problem of being able to walk out the salon and feel like I, it's myself. And to know that the next day or the next year, or whatever, when I, the next time I wash my hair, that when I style it, it will look like me. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you can find a stylist that will allow you to do that. And I bring my own <laughs> hair dryer because I'm a fucking snob. <laughs> and then I have a Dyson, which is the greatest hair, hair dryer in that. It's the only hair dryer I'll ever own again, ever, ever, ever. So, and Sandy helped me out with a book tremendously. So as a thank you, I got her one as well. And we're both like converts, you know, like total converts. So it's, they are ridiculously, stupidly expensive. You cannot justify the price for a fucking hairdryer. And yet it's the last hairdryer I will ever own. I love this thing. So what do well, you mean? That could be it. I mean, think about all the hairdryers you go through over life, a lifetime and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. My last one lasted, I think 15 years okay, um, before good. I chucked it over the side for the Dyson. I was like, bye-bye old hot air blow dryer. How do we know it? Yes. Yeah. There really is a difference with the Dyson. Um, I didn't believe the hype, but it, it's true. Actually, you were the one that wanted one, right? And then I got it for you. And then I, I have think, a long list of things I want. So <laughs> I think you came across it first and you were like, God, I really love one of these. And as a surprise, I got her one in center sent it to her, but I had to make sure that it worked properly. So I might have played with it once or twice and then decided, okay, I'm keeping this one and I'm buying her another yes. one. <laughs> right. A different color too. <laughs> I like yeah. this color. It's shiny. 
you know, it's like, it's like at Christmas, right? I get you one, me one, you one, me one. I don't do that. You're the only person I I know. You're coming across as a super control freak right now. I just hope you know that. No, I just like what I like. I bring my own hair dryer and hairspray to the hair salon and I like what I like and I don't have to yell at anybody about my hair. Of course, Sandy's like, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, well, I already bought myself everything. So good luck with that. You know. Well, worse still, she then tunes in to find out what it is I am getting her. I don't do that anymore. But you have made stuff some pretty easy, like explodes from your energy, like treadmill. <laughs> it's like hard not to bump into it. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. Okay. The second you say don't tune, I'm like <laughs> radar on, radar on. Speaking of radar, let's start today with an anecdote because I have dying to tell this anecdote. I love this anecdote so much. So I was reading for um a woman. Um this was several weeks ago. So <laughs> I know that there were more hits in the reading, um, but this was my favorite um, moment. So I'm reading for this woman and her father comes in and it's like offered up proof and the proof was definitive and it was super specific and it was fabulous. And then um, he was with a woman to his side and I didn't feel it was his wife. So there's a kind of a feeling when spirit is with, um, their spouse, there's sort of that, that love and feeling. <laughs> it's sort of more of a romantic connection than it is like a sibling sort of uh, connection. And that's what he did. So he brought in this woman and um, I, I didn't quite know who, if, if it was a mo- his mother or if it was his wife or if it was, you know, another daughter or something, right. Or a sister. So I said, okay, well um, I said, who lives in Kansas? Because in my mind's eye, I saw the map of the United States and the state of Kansas kind of lifts out, you know, like, hello, notice me. So I said, well, who lives in Kansas? And she's like, nobody. And I'm like, no, no, someone, someone lives in Kansas. She's like, no. And I'm like, who's from Kansas? Nobody. So I'm getting frustrated, right? Because this map, this state has not disappeared, right? So um, I kept insisting. I'm like, well, how about any of the states surrounding Kansas, you know, anywhere in there. She's like, everybody, all of our families from New England. I'm like, God damn it, I can't figure this out. So I'm like yelling at this poor man right on the other side. I'm like, so um, I see um, uh, Judy Garland singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And um, uh, I hear uh, we're not in Kansas anymore, which I thought was hilarious, right? And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but your, your dad just keeps showing me Judy Garland singing over the, somewhere over the rainbow. And we're not in Kansas anymore. He's running through my mind. And she goes, Oh, his sister's name was Dorothy. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I know. Right. I didn't connect it. I didn't connect it. Um, so those are like, I love those moments. I absolutely love those moments. Um, cause they're so clever. Again, they're just so freaking clever. Absolutely love it. Um, I actually had one, I think two days ago where someone showed me a goldfish. <laughs> I'm like, do goldfish mean anything to you? And she's like, no. And I'm like, did, you know, did you have a goldfish? And then, then I thought, well, who doesn't, right? Like everybody had a fucking goldfish, right? When they were growing up. And I said, well, 
I think this was her mom. I said, your mom just keeps showing me this goldfish and this goldfish is like huge. And it's as big as, as the, as the container. And I feel like it's really old. And she goes, oh yeah. She said, the only goldfish I ever had lived forever. <laughs> and it got really big. So, you know, sometimes they're like, they'll pull these like really super cool specific things. Sometimes a goldfish is a goldfish, but not always. Kansas is where someone is from. So I'm just saying. You know, it's a giant game of charades. You never, you never know what you're going to get. Um, okay, and then I have to do out of order book promotion because I had a new release. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Uh, Coach Red Handed came out this past Tuesday. Um, it is available now everywhere books are sold. Um, my favorite independent bookstore. If you're looking to support independent bookstores, which I highly recommend you do, is Murder by the Book in Houston, Texas. They do a phenomenal job. Um, they carry all my books. They hand sell my books. They are wonderful, wonderful people. I've known them for 20 years um, and they have all done really right by me. Um, if anybody has seen the poster, it's not really a poster. It's actually a piece of aluminum with um, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo movie with Daniel Craig. And I can't remember the name of the actress that played um, the girl. <laughs> it's not familiar. I am. <laughs> Anyway, um, so they had they had this to promote the movie, which came out in November of of Rooney Mara, her. Um, and um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, so they had gotten one of these, and there were very few of those made. Um, and I kept going on and on about how much I loved Daniel Craig, and in this poster, he's just sexy as fuck. The man is just sexy as oh my god, he's delicious. And he's got his arm wrapped around her, and she's basically nude. Um, and, um, the cool thing, well, you know, they've hidden, they've hidden, right. The, the, the naughty bits, they've hidden the shadowed, the naughty bits, but anyway, um, it's in the shape of a razor blade, which I also thought was just a sweet, sweet detail because it is, it's this sharp piece of aluminum. So, uh, the owner of the store, um, was kind enough, uh, to gift this to me, um, uh, when I was down there and I said, oh, great, I can go to sleep now with Daniel Craig. So I went home and I put him under the covers and I took a photo <laughs> of just his face <laughs> on my pillow <laughs> and sent it to McKenna. So, um, yeah. So uh, in any of the book promotion, um, the point of the story is if you have seen in any of the book promotion photos of me standing there, writing, you know, signing my name to books in the background is that poster. Um, and that comes from Murder by the Book. So um, yeah, they, they, they are top-notch, wonderful, wonderful people. So I highly recommend it. Anyway, this is the third book, fourth book, third, fourth, oh, what is it? Um, fourth. One, two, three, four. Oh my God. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Here, so, buy this no, book. It's even worse know. than that. It's even worse than that. I had it in my mind that this was coming out in August. I didn't even look. I get a text from a friend at four o'clock on Tuesday. Congratulations on your book release. And I'm thinking, that's not today. Is it? Is it today? Running row dialing up Amazon. Oh shit, it's today. <laughs> rot, rot. So I threw together, I, I'm, I'm calling my neighbor. I'm like, Dustin, get over here and take a picture of me signing books. So he comes over and he's just, I don't know. He's just clicking. He's just clicking. I'm like, you're not, I'm... <laughs> not one usable photo in the whole mix. 
<laughs> I know it's terrible. Amy <laughs> caught in headlights basically with a pen with a pen. Yeah. Um, so oh God, finally, you know, kind of mounted the phone sort of in an angle, set it on a 10-second timer, <laughs> ran around the counter, hmm. <laughs> posed, um, you know, Vogue. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> took a photo, slammed it on a newsletter and sent it out to 5,000 of you. Here you go. Guess what came out today? <laughs> oh my You're god. so organized. Oh my God. It's terrible. It's so terrible. It's really terrible. I, I And every year I'm like, this is going to be the year I'm going to get my act together. Like this is, it's going to happen. I swear it's going to happen someday. The problem is, is that it came out in the summer. Yeah. Right. Which is a great problem. time for a book to come out. Normally it's a great, like perfect July everybody's on the beach they want to read the book right but for me Victoria your book comes out every year in the summer okay I know it's not but that's like the this problem. is a random happening well, no it's not it's, the problem well you know it's usually coming out in August I think I don't know usually in my mind it comes out in August I think I don't know I'll have to look but anyway the problem is that I, my brain goes into summer mode. I want to enjoy my summer. So like, this is the first year in 22 years, literally in 22 years that I'm taking weekends off um, for the summer and probably indefinitely because I'm enjoying the fuck out of my weekends. So, um, so, you know, I've been summer brain. I'm not on work brain, you know? So um, that's what's hard because once you get into summer brain after 22 years of working every fucking day um on something always always you know either a client either clients or writing or um whatever else whatever else i do um podcasting whatever um i finally have decided weekends are mine mine and i'm not giving them back i'm gonna be kind of quasi-normal anyway i digress so everywhere books are sold <laughs> coach red handed um i was really, really happy with the way that this story came out. Basically, Cat and Gilly, um, it's the end of Gilly's marriage. His ex, Michelle, is coming to clean out his stuff from the guest house where Cat lives. Um, Shea Kitty. Shea Cat is where Cat lives. Shea Kitty is the guest house. And Gilly's really depressed, so Cat offers up a European vacation. So um, as they're planning this, of course, there's one last client that they have to um, work for cats, a life coach. So she goes in into a session with this woman, Scarlett Ruby and, uh, Scarlett is being overrun by her very toxic family. Scarlett is a very successful, wealthy romance, romance writer. Um, and her family is just bleeding her dry basically. So cat advises her to take her life back and cut them all off. And they arrange for a meeting with the family, pull that off with success. The next day, Scarlett is found. Tum, tum, tum murdered so and then hijinks ensue so um i i i kind of love the twist what do you think of the twist of the twist in this one i'm gonna plead the fifth because in classic me mode very literal i could not for the life of me figure out what the hell was going on and i had to read it three or four times then i had to ask you about it and then you made fun of me like you usually do when i read your books and i can't figure out what the hell is going on and mock me for years after. So pleading the fifth this time. Can I bring up the tiger in the cage? Can I bring up what is? It? I sent Sandy a copy of yeah. A here book we that go. Was released go. and in the summer. It. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. You were very very busy. 
um, at the time. I had a new puppy. I had right. a new job. I had right. a lot of new things going on that were distracting me. So, yeah. and was I think not, Abby was not been, sleeping. Abby had been kidnapped and she was strapped to a bomb. <laughs> I and couldn't Sandy figure it out. Like, why is she in a cage? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I read. <laughs> why is Abby in a cage? <laughs> like, she's not in a cage. <laughs> Is there a tiger in the cage? Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. And it's not her writing. It was just my distracted focus. So apparently you can be distracted and I cannot. So I, I'm with you now. Well, yeah. Well, that one was, a, that book was, a, you had to kind of pay attention to it because it had dual timelines. So every other chapter was a different timeline, um, the back and forth. Um, so one timeline was <clears throat> basically written over hours, like two or three hours. Um, you know, you had like the countdown for the bomb to blow up. And then the other chapters were what led up to Abby being strapped to a bomb. So, um, yeah, that was a cool book. I like that one. It was. Anyway. anyway. Okay. So I digress. So let, next week we'll be back with another Abby and we'll talk about the abster. But, um, today our mystery is the death of Marilyn Monroe. And remember I wrote this copy, not Sandy. So, I'm sure it's not going to be like as fluid and sweet and fun as, and, or as detailed as hers normally are. This should be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Winging it. We're winging it. Everybody wish me luck reading this. Please. (laughs) Yeah. Typical me fashion. Um, I edited it like five minutes before we went on air, but you know, whatever. Last minute, Lori rides again. Okay. So, in the early morning hours of August 5th, 1962, Marilyn Monroe, arguably the most famous woman in the world, was discovered naked, lying face down on her bed, lifeless. The evening before, August 4th, Marilyn had gone to bed early at approximately 8.30 p.m., and in the days, weeks, and months leading up to her death, Marilyn had been noticeably struggling with mental illness, depression, and drug and alcohol addiction. With her that evening was her loyal housekeeper, Eunice Murray, who'd been convinced to stay with Marilyn that evening by her psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Breenson, who'd been worried about her mental state of mind. Marilyn had begun seeing the psychiatrist several months earlier after the breakup of her marriage to writer Arthur Miller, and after having suffered several miscarriages during their tumultuous marriage. When Marilyn left New York for LA, she'd started seeing Greenson, who'd also welcomed her into his family to give the mega movie star a sense of familial support. Dr. Greenson did not think that Marilyn was in danger of committing suicide that evening or in the days leading up to that night, but he was concerned enough about her ongoing psychological struggles and addictions to amphetamines, alcohol, and barbiturates that he convinced Eunice to stay over at her house. According to the official police report, at approximately 3 a.m. on August 5th, Eunice awakened to a noise and got up to check on Marilyn. The housekeeper discovered her boss's bedroom light on, but Marilyn was unresponsive to Eunice's repeated knocks and attempts to wake her. Fearing the worst, Eunice made her way outside to peer into Marilyn's bedroom window and found her lying face down on her bed, again, unresponsive to Eunice's repeated attempts to wake her by yelling and knocking on the window. In a panic, the housekeeper quickly placed a phone call to Dr. Greenson, begging for assistance. When Dr. Greenson arrived and peered into the same bedroom window, he became alarmed enough to break the glass and gain entry into her bedroom. He found Marilyn's body cold with no obvious signs of life. Next to her bed were the numerous prescription bottles, many empty. Marilyn's hand was outstretched, resting on the phone as if she'd been about to call someone for help, but the call was never placed. 
The official coroner's report cited probable suicide given the large quantity of barbiturates and alcohol in her system. Marilyn had consumed approximately 40 pills, which would have put her quickly into a coma followed by death. There was also an extensive history of suicidal thoughts, mental illness, feelings of isolation and loneliness, insomnia, and drug and alcohol dependence. All of these factors likely factored into that fateful moment when Marilyn ingested those 40 pills, washing them down with alcohol. And yet for the last 50 years, nefarious rumors surrounding the circumstances of the movie star's death have persisted. Born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926, to a mentally fragile mother and a father who abandoned the family shortly after she was born, Norma Jean's childhood was turbulent, peppered with an unstable home life where she was moved from foster home to foster home and even to an orphanage. In one such foster home, Norma Jean was molested, and at age 16, she entered her, into her first marriage with a merchant marine simply to escape having to re-enter the system. By the time she was 18, she was bored of married life and turned to modeling. At the age of 20, Norma Jean had adopted the stage name Marilyn Monroe and signed her first acting contract with Fox in August of 1946. For the next few years, Marilyn would routinely be cast in small roles while taking acting lessons and modeling on the side, waiting for her big break. And then in 1950, at the age of 24, Marilyn finally signed a contract with 20th Century Fox that would move her up the ladder a bit, and she began to take supporting roles in various films. Her popularity grew, and in 1952, she began dating Joe DiMaggio, whom she would later go on to marry. The relationship between the movie actress and the baseball legend helped bring notice to Marilyn's acting career, and her popularity really began to soar. By 1954, Monroe was one of 20th Century Fox's biggest stars. She and Joe married in January of that year, but the marriage was troubled from the start, and they divorced only nine months later. In 1956, Marilyn was dating playwright Arthur Miller, and the pair socialized with politically far-left-leaning circles. At about that time, the FBI be began a file on Marilyn, and they famously labeled her a communist. Privately, Marilyn began to struggle with drug and alcohol addiction, which was her way of dealing with an increasingly fragile mental state. At one point, Marilyn even had a mental breakdown and spent several weeks receiving psychiatric care and counseling at a local hospital. When she emerged from her stay at the hospital, she was hounded by the press, which caused her even further distress. By 1960, Marilyn's marriage to Miller was crumbling and her health had also taken a turn for the worse. Plagued by gallbladder attacks, gallstones, and endometriosis, Marilyn's dependence on barbiturates and amphetamines was now causing serious problems on the set. In 1961, she and Miller divorced, and Marilyn took a six-month hiatus from acting to move from New York to Los Angeles, where she purchased a Spanish bungalow in Brentwood. There, she was a regular visitor to her friend Peter Lawford's home, which he shared with his then-wife, Patricia Kennedy, who was the sister to President Jack Kennedy and the Attorney General Bobby Kennedy. It was after meeting the brothers at the Lawfords that Marilyn began to have an affair with both brothers, but was far more serious about Bobby Kennedy than Jack Kennedy. Because the dinners and the get-togethers at the Lawfords usually involved conversations about politics, Marilyn began to study politics, and she was known to ask probing questions of the Kennedys to better understand the political landscape. And it was also during this time that Marilyn came under the care of Dr. Ralph Greenson, who treated her for depression and anxiety. Greenson was concerned enough about Marilyn's mental health that he often invited her to participate in family functions at his home, offering her a sense of belonging and something that she had lacked and craved her entire life. Within the contextual background of all that was, going, that was going on with Marilyn's involvement with the Kennedy brothers were two key things. Bobby Kennedy was actively investigating the head of the Teamsters Union, Jimmy Hoffa, and his connection to organized crime. 
and the global stakes in the Cold War were ratcheted up when the Soviet Union took Cuba under its wing, posing an imminent threat to the United States by giving the Soviet Union a territory from which to easily launch nuclear missiles. Dinner conversations at the Lawfords often reflected the U.S.'s progress developing a nuclear missile program of its own. As a result of the president's careless talk among private citizens of classified information and the fact that Hoffa was actively trying to get any dirt he could on Bobby Kennedy, the FBI placed several listening devices in Maryland's home. By August of 1962, Bobby Kennedy was so alarmed by the threat of exposure posed by his and his brother's affair with Maryland that he flew out to Los Angeles to attempt to confront Marilyn and break things off with her. When she begged off an invitation to the Lawfords for dinner on August 4th, Bobby contacted her directly and instructed Marilyn to stop calling the White House and to stop calling his office. A visibly shaken and furious Marilyn hung up on Bobby, and within a few hours, Marilyn Monroe would be found dead of barbiturate and amphetamine overdose. News of Marilyn's death spread like wildfire across the globe, and shortly thereafter, conspiracy theories began to swirl around the circumstances of her death, with many blaming the Kennedys either directly or indirectly for her demise. Still others struggled that Jimmy Hoffa and his mafia connections might have played a hand. If Hoffa was indeed intent on curtailing Bobby Kennedy's investigation into him, could he have ordered Marilyn's murder as a way to get either even or warn both Bobby and Jack to back off? Or might someone else entirely be responsible for her death, perhaps a jilted lover? Or was it her death the result of an accidental overdose? In 1982, with rumors of foul play persisting, the Los Angeles County District Attorney John Van de Camp conducted a threshold investigation into the circumstances surrounding Marilyn's death and found absolutely no evidence of foul play. Still, even to this day, rumors of Marilyn's mysterious death continue to circulate. So the mystery is, was it murder? Was it an accident? Was there a cover-up? And if so, who was involved? And Victoria, if you'll share the sources for this story, that would be great. Yeah, so um, Wikipedia and... Um... <clears throat> Wikipedia, there are two actually Wikipedia pages on Marilyn that give a lot of this detail, which is just her own Wikipedia, Marilyn Monroe page, and then the death of Marilyn Monroe uh, Wikipedia page. And then much of the sort of background about what was going on in the background during the times, this time, um, came from a, a fabulous actually documentary on Netflix called um, The Mystery, uh, The Marilyn Monroe Mystery the missing, or excuse me, the unheard tapes. Um, and uh, the voice, the narrator of that documentary is Anthony Summers, who was a British reporter. And in the early 2000s, I think it was, he was tasked with digging into Mar Marilyn Monroe's death. Or maybe this was in the 80s. I think it was in the 80s, right, right around the time that the LA district attorney was sort of doing that threshold investigation. So he expected that um, the investigation would take like three days and he was on it for years, <laughs> for years, um, like 11 years or something. Um, and um, what I, I have always thought was that there was a cover-up related to Marilyn Monroe. I just intuitively just knew there was some kind of a cover-up. I assumed the cover-up had to do with her demise, like, she was probably murdered. That was my thinking, especially because um, the hand on the phone, you know, and the 40 pills consumed so quickly. But um, uh, Summers actually takes you through interviews with so many of the people um, 
who were kind of around Marilyn at that time. Um, and you can listen to them on tape and it's absolutely fascinating. But his conclusion at the end of this was actually that there was a cover up, but it wasn't um, her death that they were necessarily, wasn't her suicide, um, or excuse me, her murder that they were covering up. It was the fact that the FBI had placed listening devices all over her home and they had to go in and recover those before the police arrived so that they would not be discovered and so that it wouldn't be leaked uh, linked back to Bobby Kennedy because Bobby Kennedy had flown out um, on a jet, private jet to LA. He was there approximately six hours, something like that, a short period of time wherein he was supposed to confront Marilyn and um, she wouldn't go to the Lawfords for dinner. So then he called her and was like, we're done. Don't ever call my office again. Don't call JFK's office again, blah, blah, blah. Because she was floating in these um, far left kind of circles, the Arthur Miller kind of circles. And um, many of these people had um, uh, sympathized with Cuba and people in Cuba. And <clears throat> here, Jack Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, a short time previous to Marilyn's death, had gone to a nuclear test facility and watched a nuclear bomb explode, right? So they had intimate knowledge of where the United States was. And it's obviously they had intimate knowledge in um, the stages of its nuclear development program. And they were kind of loose-lipped at the Lawfords because they're amongst family and friends and loose-lipped. And um, there was a very famous private investigator who was hired by, um, he was hired by Hoffa. Um, he was by the, hired by the Teamsters. Then he was hired by local police. Then he was hired by the Kennedy. Like it was, he had all of these contracts and everybody was trying to, trying to find dirt on everybody else. <clears throat> so he was playing everybody against everybody. And um, Hoffa hired him to try and dig up dirt on Bobby Kennedy because Bobby Kennedy was really bringing um, the tax to um, Hoffa and Hoffa knew it. Um, and there was a probe into um, banking transactions and you know, it was just really looking bad for Hoffa. And I don't know how long after this it was that Hoffa just disappeared, but I would imagine it was fairly, fairly soon after that. So, um, so the FBI, because the Kennedys are being so loose-lipped about the nuclear uh, program being developed in the US, um, and the Cold War is kind of reaching its apex. Um, uh, they wanted to make sure that Marilyn wasn't having conversations with known spies, so to speak. So the story goes, <clears throat> and this I believe 100% because it really rang every bell on my intuition about the cover-up. Um, but I always didn't, I didn't really get that's how someone could have forced these pills down her throat. Well. Um, Marilyn was obviously suffering from depression and anxiety and um, addiction. She was in a terrible state of mind at that time. And Bobby, who she's clearly in love with, um, enamored with and in love with, she's to call him the general, um, calls her up, is cruel and cold, like we're done. You know, like, don't ever call me again. Don't ever call Jack again. Because Marilyn was known to just call the White House. She was just known to like call Jack, you know? Like it's a Sunday, let's call Jack, right? So um, these two men used and abused her um, routinely. She was, you know, Marilyn was a free spirit and, and, you know, she was getting it on apparently with both brothers, kind of not simultaneously, but one and then the other. 
um, and they treated her like trash. They treated her like dirt, um, which is really, really a shame because she was so fragile um, uh, mentally at this time. So she gets this phone call from Jack. It's called off. And I believe very strongly that in that moment, she just wanted out. She just wanted to go. And so she consumed the 40 pills, drank the alcohol, and it put her into a coma. Now, in the interviews that Summers conducts, he discovers that um, uh, Eunice, who was the housekeeper, actually contacted uh, Greenson uh, much sooner than 3 a.m. So there was a call to Marilyn's publicist right around 11 p.m. He was out at a play with his wife. And um, his wife remembers that the message said, you have to go to Marilyn Monroe's house. There's a crisis. Go. So he leaves to go to Marilyn's house. Greenson goes over to Marilyn's house right around that time period. They actually find Marilyn alive. She's still breathing. They throw her in an ambulance. The ambulance heads off to the hospital. She dies en route. Now what do they do? They turn the ambulance around. They bring her back. They stage her, um, they stage her body. The FBI comes in, they clean house. They're not done until about 3 a.m. And that's when Mer that's when Eunice calls the police and says, hey, we've got, we've got an issue here. So there was a cover-up. Um, there was a cover-up, but it just wasn't Marilyn's murder murder. It was the cover-up of um, the listening devices in her home that the FBI put in there. So um that's what I believe happened. That's, that's truly what I believed happened. Um, I really, really recommend the documentary. It's fascinating. Um, it's very well done. Um, and it's, you know, it's just kind of interesting to hear these famous people talking about Marilyn um, in a way that is like whispered, you know, that they're like, they are almost afraid to say these things because the FBI was in, involved and um, they had a whole file on Marilyn and they labeled her a communist and even you know into the 80s this was this was dicey territory um to be talking about so um yeah that's what i believe happened the poor love the poor thing 36 and she's so talented she's so breathtakingly beautiful so talented and so used you know so used i actually watched another documentary last night that was really reminded me of of marilyn it was on um uh pam and tommy uh, Lee, and it was about um, their sex tape. Um, you didn't see, you don't see the sex tape, which is good. Um, it's just kind of talked about, <clears throat> and it was interesting to see the parallels of how Pam and um, uh, Pamela was treated. Uh, so similar to Marilyn, you know, she was the slut. She was slut shamed. It was her fault, you know. Here she is. She's married on her honeymoon, having sex with her husband on a private boat with a private video. Um, that gets put into a 500 pound safe in their garage. The safe is stolen, <laughs> blown open. The tape is, is stolen and then dis distributed worldwide, right? So um, Pamela was blamed for that. And there are people still to this day that believe she had something to do with that leak. And it's really, you know, the way that we treat these beautiful women, we want, we want to be them, we want to be with them. And then you know, we're fine to denigrate them. We're fine to um, punch them when they're down. And I just think it's terrible. Honestly, I think it's terrible. So um, that's another really good documentary.
um, by the way. Speaking of, um, Netflix just uh, released, I think about a week after our podcast on D.B. Cooper, um, the story behind D.B. Cooper and the research that one particular investigator has de devoted a significant amount of time to and uh, also wealth worth watching on Netflix, the mystery behind D.B. Cooper and the various oh, theories that different investigators have put forth. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. Um, do they agree with me? Yes. <laughs> well, let me yes. put it to you this way. Some some do and some don't, but they're the bulk of the focus is on Robert Rackstraw and right. um, whom, whom you identified as D.B. Cooper. He passed away in 2019. So wow. the mystery died with him. If yeah. it was him, uh, yeah. it died with him. That's fascinating. And then um, on the prediction scale, putting out the prediction, it's interesting to see what's already unfolding that I said would start to happen. So the Fed just um, did a rate hike. It was um, a half point higher than I thought it was going to be. I think that the 0.75, uh, three quarter point bump in interest rate is a little excessive. I will be honest with you. That shocked me because that's a one and a half bump, one and a half percentage pump uh, bump in total. And that's, that's tough. That's tough. Still, I was in the mortgage industry back in the uh, early to mid nineties and interest rates then were, you know, eight, nine, 10%. So, you know, they're basically what three and a three and a quarter, three and a half, four percent So, you know, relative, right. It's all relative. Um, still that's a well, hit for I, a lot I of will people. say this. I think, I think unfortunately Americans have gotten comfortable with a low right. interest rate and yeah. it's un enabled us to become very debt laden. Yeah, And when interest rates go up, it's extremely disruptive because you've been counting on having a low interest rate to pay off that debt. So yeah. Um, yeah. while interest rates were higher in the past, the reality is, is we were not as intensely in debt as right. the bulk of Americans are today. So it it's is true. very negative, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you know, the low interest rates really were fueled by the um, uh, home renovation loans. So they were really fueled by the cash out refis and people were mm -hmm. using that cash initially to update their homes, which I'm all in favor of, but then they started to exceed the 80, 20%. So 80% mortgage with 20% equity, they started to push that to 90, 95%, 98% sometimes cash out refi. And you were just on underwater, like automatically. Um, you can update your house all you want. You're not going to recoup a, you know, 18 point uh, percentage point jump for a new kitchen, you know, it's not going to update, it's not going to um, accelerate your value, uh, your value that much. So, um, so that got kind of taken to extreme, that whole deregulation of the mortgage, of the uh, mortgage industry really, you know, of course, people were able to make quick cash fast. So of course, they took advantage of the system and put people in, in terrible, terrible um, mortgages. But uh, live and learn, right? Still one and a half point bump. That's tough, especially if you're looking for a new house. You know, if you're like finally able to qualify for a house, you're, you know, you've got some student debt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you finally are able to kind of qualify for a house. That one and a half percentage point bump, that's hard. That's it. That hits you hard. That takes you from being able to afford a decent home to one that's a little less decent. So that was a tough hit. I thought it was a little excessive. We'll see. But that's something that's already happened. And then um, indictments are looming and probably coming out this fall. <laughs> uh, 
So get your popcorn. Just get your popcorn I know, ready. I know, I know. Um, and then with regard to people's long-term finances being really rock solid and stable, well, we've we've just had the Chips Act pass, passed, and we're about to have the, you know, the rebranding of the Build Back Better bill um, pass, and that's going to funnel a shit ton of money into manufacturing, which will help stabilize the undercurrent of the the economy and produce jobs, good paying jobs. Um, and, um, now I know why the threshold for those long-term finances, that foundation is there because the economy, I think is going to continue to do well. So I know there's all this talk about, you know, recession, recession, recession. I gotta be honest. I'm just not seeing it. If it happens, okay, I'm okay to be wrong, but I'm just not, I just don't, it's not there. I don't see, you know, I know people are talking about, oh, layouts, layoffs are coming. Okay. Well, None of my, none of my clients are being laid off. You know, normally I see like that pattern. I'll see that pattern kind of play out. And I just haven't, I just haven't seen those patterns in any of the readings that I've been doing. So if I start to see those patterns, of course, I will adjust, you know, like that on the half, just people, um, you really should throw some savings into a, you know, just in case fund anyway, but still, I'm just not seeing what I saw leading up to 2007, 2008. That was a different thing. So um, if we have a recession, I don't know, that's going to be a huge hairy deal. Um, if you lose your job, yeah, that's a huge hairy deal. But overall, I just don't see it. So we'll see, you know, time will tell. But it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see some of this. Oh, and then um, the other thing was where I was, you know, I was like, I really think Gavin Newsom is going to run for president. And I think he's going to build a really, really strong ticket. And I think he's going to recruit Pete Buttigieg. Now that may or may not happen, but I saw some rankings that came out um, the other day for the Democratic primary, who are the favorites. Kamala is first, obviously. It's her race to lose. Buttigieg is second and Newsom is third. And this is very, very early. This is not until 2024, but um, I just thought it was interesting that um, I picked up Newsom before he kind of landed on on the radar of, yeah, he could be a real contender. And I feel he could, I feel he could be an amazing contender. So we'll see, we'll see. And then Sandy, you had asked me today, you know, did I think that Trump was gonna get the, the primary nod um, or was it gonna be DeSantis? Well, you know, that is a, you know, that's, that's a cloudy kind of issue because the ether is very turbulent where that is concerned. So there isn't anything necessarily solid. But when I look, I see him leading the pack for the primary. And the race then is, um, if he's convicted before the presidential election, right, then he's done. Um, he's got the probably the um, best worst chance in Georgia of being con convicted of interfering in that election. Um, with the just find me 11,780 votes. Um, so that AG is very aggressive and it's, it's likely that he could face some jail time. So, and that trial, I don't think would take a long time. The appeal process might, but he would be staring down the face of a conviction. So that might take him out. And if he's taken out, I think DeSantis then is sort of the, I mean, he's the obvious, the Murdochs are supporting um, DeSantis at this point. So you've got the whole machine behind him. 
So that would be a very interesting, very interesting con uh, contest, really, that I don't even want to speculate on yet. <laughs> but um, it's never dull around here in US politics. At least nope. Not lately, not lately. So yeah, so that's about it. That's about it. So um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for um, my emails are all um, filling up with people. Where, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? Well, we needed a break. <laughs> we just need, needed a moment. These are a lot of work, um, but we're, um, you know, trying to get some momentum under us again. Hopefully it won't be another three weeks before we put out another one. Um, thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed our podcast so far, please click the like button, ring the bell and subscribe to our channel. That would be awesome. And thanks so much for joining us. And if you would like to know more about me, more about the books or sign up for a um, psychic reading, psychic medium reading, uh, please visit victorialaurie.com. Um, Laurie is spelled L-E-U-R-I-E. And I'll put a, post a link in the description too for you. So that's about it. All right. Mm -hmm. All right, Sans. I love you lots. Love you too. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Okay, sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.